Hello and welcome back to the 15th TFA Daily World Cup podcast of our World Cup series. Wow, 15 already. I'm your host Adam Scully and we have another exciting episode for you all today. France are true to the quarterfinals of the World Cup as are England. The pair of European titans will meet on Saturday vying for a place in the semi-finals of the illustrious competition. Didier Deschamps men comfortably disposed of Czesław Michniewicz's Poland in the 3-1 victory and looked as sensational as they did against Australia and Denmark in the group phase. No manager has ever won back-to-back World Cup titles since Vittorio Pozzo managed to do so in 1934 and 1938, with Italy before World War II even happened. Will Deschamps be the second man to do so in history? Meanwhile, England put Senegal away with ease, sending the African champions packing. Despite a rather edgy and uncomfortable first half, an hour of the match where Senegal looked to be the better side, Jordan Henderson's fine finish thrown the game in the three lines' favour, before Harry Kane and Bukayo Saka put the tie to bed. In this episode, we will look through the tactics of both games, seeing how Deschamps and Southgate mastermind victories over Poland and Senegal to set up a mouth-watering fixture this weekend. Thankfully, to help me unpack all the action, I'm joined by TFA analyst Brian Marquez and Ronnie Dog Media's head of betting and affiliates Lucas Mondello. We will also be previewing tomorrow's last 16 matchups between Portugal and Switzerland and Spain and Morocco, so stay tuned for that. But before we get into the tactics from each game, Lucas will be going through the latest odds on the betting market regarding each team, and so we ask that you make sure to gamble responsibly when taking the advice on board and also make sure you're over 18 and that you comply with your country's gambling regulations. So without further ado, let's dive right into the analysis. Olivier Ryan, Lucas, thank you so much for joining me today. Review another goals. 24 hours of World Cup action. I Let's jump straight into things and start with France. Within a couple of years, Kylian Mbappé will break that record. The early I'd also yesterday. imagine that he will break the record of the World Cup's top goal scorer held by Miroslav Klose on 16 goals. Mbappe's on nine currently, and he's only 23 years of age, which is absolutely mind-blowing. He has at least, I would imagine, three World Cups in him. Maybe two, but he'll be 35, I think, in the in the, his final World Cup. He might, he might still be playing like Giroud is. If not, though, he still has two World Cups to score seven goals, plus this one. And I'd imagine France can go quite far in it. Actually, first up, I'll start with you, Lucas, just really quickly. Talk to me about Kylian Mbappe's odds then for, for being the outright top goal scorer in the, in the World Cup. Well, he had a, a big decrease in his odds of 50% since the last game against Poland, which is natural. He's the only guy with five goals now. And uh, I agree, I guess history is in the making here. Yeah. What's What's the best bet in your opinion than four top goal score because there's seven players currently on three goals and then Mbappe is is of course on five well you could get Mbappe with odds around seven when the tournament was beginning but right now naturally the odds are just 1.57 on average mm-hmm. but you got to consider the value and when batters talk about value it's like how wrong the odds are in favor of those betting and in my opinion, you have two guys that stand out. Richardson uh, from Brazil with odds of 13 on average and Olivier Giroud with odds of 21, which is a lot. Considering how far these teams could go in the tournament, they're just still in the round of 16. 
So this is an important factor to this market and the opposition that these things will face is also an, an important thing Brazil could face in theory. Teams, teams that are not that strong and still see lots of goals happening. So if there is still some value in the authorized market, I'd suggest a small bet on Versailles and or Zihu. Okay. Okay. We'll start we'll come to you, Brian, then on the actual I suppose the, the, the happenings of the match. Uh, Poland played exactly how I thought they'd play. If any listeners uh, read my piece at the weekend uh highlighting all of the probably the standout and the common trends of defensive tactics and defensive structures in the World Cup so far. I wrote a whole section on Poland uh, and the nearest team to them, I suppose, is Iran in terms of their defensive approach. Poland have been by far the most pragmatic side in the World Cup so far. You know, they they use that 4-1-4-1 uh, defensive block, which drops into a 6-3-1. But France found it relatively easy, I would say, to break through uh, that that extremely conservative low block, low block Ryan, Brian, talk to me about um about how they managed to do that because you wrote the piece on the TFA website, which is an excellent piece, by the way, if any listeners want to check it out in written form. Yeah, uh, it was a brilliant piece uh, by you about it. <laughs> Even yourself, I was like, speak <laughs> yourself up, I love it. <laughs> but yeah, France kind of since the first match of the tournament, when they obviously not against Tunisia, but against Denmark and Australia, they found very easy to break their blocks. And I didn't quite expect Poland to be that hard for them to break it down because of the explosiveness of their their players, Petit Hernandez, uh, Usman Dembele, and obviously Kylian Mbappe. And we have seen since the start of the World Cup that this France is really different from what we have seen. Um, they are a bit more offensive. They're more fun to see. They're enjoyable. They have rotations in the midfield. They have exchanges in the wide areas. And it's quite uh, really interesting to see that in a team that is full of bright players. It is what fans and and they were criticizing Didi Deschamps because of the talent he's, he had. But France find it quite easy to break the block that it was a 4-1-4-1 exchange into a 6-3-1 when they were very deep. That is crazy. Uh, like six defenders is really crazy. But it, it is a way to, to stop uh, teams like this. But France with the many movements out wide looking to stretch the block and then uh, changing the game the ball to the weak side was really interesting that in uh, the key player for that it, it was Antoine Griezmann who I think is the best midfielder of the tournament maybe he's had an excellent tournament he's had a superb tournament considering he's had quite yeah. a uh, lackluster couple of seasons now since his when he moved to Barcelona and then returned to Atletico Madrid, I think he's, yeah. you know, he's really, really impressed in this tournament. Yeah, and it's the quite the demonstration that he's not a winger or a false mm-hmm. nine. He's a midfielder that likes to be in the build-up, uh, speeding up the first passes of the game, the first stages of 
creating and elaborating game for his team. And you quite see him not only against Poland, but in the tournament. He drops deep with Chouameni and Rabiot, and he picks up the ball, finds Mbappe or Giroud in the half spaces, or Dembele on the wide, Tio on the wide. And that has been really good. And against Poland, Poland didn't quite uh, knew how to mark him. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of the uh, thing France look up in this game. The Obviously, you have the player gravity. It's absolutely unbelievable when Mbappe or Griezmann have the ball because you're attracting like two or three players <laughs> only because you are Griezmann or Mbappe. That, mm-hmm. that is mad. But when you move the ball wide, Matty Cash was having really, really big problems to think... I have to go with the white man that in occasions was Mbappe or Tio. That exchange of inner channels and white channels was unbelievable because France wasn't really having a positional player there. They were always, always, always exchanging that positions and high. I think they're having the, the, I suppose, the six at the back, essentially, with the winger and the fullback able to kind of... You think they'd be able to zonally deal with that, wouldn't you? I think they look to defend France in that way with a sonal marking, trying mm-hmm. to be compact there and not thinking about going or not. But it's for a player, it's a tough decision to not go or to stay when you have these kind of players. And they wanted to go 1v1 when Mbappe or Tio were on the wide uh, um, areas of the field. And that is... You have to be really tough and and brave to defend 1v1 against these kind of players. And Mbappe, when he was receiving balls in the half spaces, was really dangerous because Rabiot was pinning one of the midfielders and Mbappe was always uh, controlling the ball and having the ball really alone in these half, half spaces. Mm-hmm. Mari Cash, or the winger who joined in a 6-3-1, always was like separated from his teammate because he wanted to go wide or stay with Mbappe so he created that space in, in the inside the, his confusion that Giroud could make the diagonal and the first goal was like that you know the, the one nil yeah. was scored just like that Rapid was spinning one midfielder Mbappe received in the half space from Okamecano and Giroud made the diagonal it was well. really good um, centre forward play by Giroud as well when you when you take into account how he scanned the surroundings realised that the powder centre halves have stepped out I suppose uh, and within a split yeah. second the ball's in behind and he's made that movement and even at 35 when he's not the quickest he's, he's, he's sharp as a pencil yeah when you're not physically the most quick player in the team you have to be mentally agile mm-hmm. to scan and to know where I have to run when I have to time my run so yeah. it was a really good display by Giroud who who acted like a target man as he always do and he was a really good help for Dembele to activate him to a space when he dropped deep and obviously that connection with Mbappe was unbelievable so France I think they are they are really good and they have really good players. They have quality superiority. But yeah, but now that you say that, I mean, you made a point earlier and it is true that they obviously have changed kind of how they play it compared to the last couple of tournaments under Deschamps, yeah, especially true. Euro 2020 where they were very uh, poor overall. I mean, they were quite 
dreadful to yeah, watch at times in games. But do you, do you think that that was a plan change from the manager, or do you believe it was more sort of like they had so many injuries in midfield, especially? I mean, there was no Kante, there was no Pogba, which were almost guaranteed starters for him. Do you think he was kind of forced into making those more progressive? You know, when I was writing, when I was writing the piece, I was thinking, like, did the injury from Lucas Hernandez? Yeah. make this team better because the first minutes of France against Australia were were really poor. Dreadful. Australia yeah. scored the goal, they were attacking and they were making damage in transitions and they were having the ball against France. And Australia didn't look to have the ball in the tournament, but they were having it. And, and they were defending really good. So it could maybe be like that because I made the preview for France in the TFA magazine and well well all all football fans saw France because the players they have you you must mm-hmm. think they're going to play good and in the previous matches uh, i think the most enjoyable thing was Griezmann connection with Benzema and Mbappe yeah. but behind that in the build up it wasn't like it, it is now so i think it was a bit of a yeah, you could think it was the Shams' force to put Theo in, who's a bit more attacking player. And you could maybe think it's like that, but maybe a change of plans as well, a 50-50 decision, because when you saw that against Australia, and then the next matches, the, the the idea changed a lot. So I think it's 50-50 on that. But you, oh, well, to... well, I, I'm glad they they did make the changes because yeah, I, I exactly. quite enjoy I quite I'm enjoy glad. watching France now. I mean, I haven't enjoyed watching France in, in quite a while. And, and just touching on that, Lucas, how have France's outright odds changed? And are they now currently the favourites, or are Brazil still top of the the chart at the minute? They have the same odds of Argentina on average 5.5, which is surprising to me. It's very surprising. I consider, yeah, I, I consider France to be, let's say, a more complete team in all sectors, not just because of the shocking loss to Saudi Arabia, but um, it's like uh, it involves lots of factors, but mostly, I guess, the, the fact that France has been playing at a top level for a while, while as I say, the teams of Come Ball region, they you know get to play big games less often, and and when it comes to rounds of sixteen or all the knockout stage, then the pressure starts to mount, and they're not that used to these things. I think it makes a difference. And mm-hmm. uh, but uh, yeah, well you have Brazil with odds of three point four, and France uh, together with Argentina around five point five, depending on the bookmaker. Is that to do with? I know it might sound silly, but is, is that to do with the Messi factor? Because uh, with the full respect to Argentina, I watched that game on Saturday, and I wasn't over—I I wasn't overwhelmed by how incredible they were. I mean, it, it, Messi's brilliance, of course, was the the talking point, and he's an absolutely mind-blowing, mind-blowingly incredible footballer. But overall, as a team, I thought they really struggled against Australia. I agree. I guess that if you consider, for example, France. They lost so many players. They lost Benzema even before starting. They lost a guy that, I agree with you guys, France improved after the mm-hmm. uh, Hernandez brother was subbed by his brother. But, uh, <laughs> you know, the way he's a little bit more of a defensive player than his brother that plays in Italy, you have a situation in which France seems to 
you know, not being scared of so many changes that had to happen. For example, if Mbappe picks up an injury right now, they could maybe try to use Griezmann in, in a different way or something like that. So I don't see them being dependent as Argentina is a massive, for example. Yeah. But I think there is still a little bit of a hype involving the, the South Americans to this point. No, I agree. And as I said, it was, you know, you're right. If Messi touch wood gets injured for Argentina, no chance. They've no chance of winning the World Cup, genuinely. Um, and I don't mean to disrespect them. I just wasn't overly, I haven't been overly impressed with them in the tournament. It was a bit of a letdown. You know, I think sometimes their decision making is naive. Even in the first half against Australia, they really struggled until Messi scored a, a ridiculous goal between, I think, two players' legs. So, yeah, I, I'm quite surprised at their level on odds with France. But we'll move on to another team who have been criticised for their pragmatic style of play, considering the wealth of attacking talent in the squad. And that's England, who disposed of Senegal 3-0 last night, which was the late kickoff on Sunday. And it was a difficult start for Senegal, I'd say. Brian, I come to you on this. Firstly, talk me through how how Senegal kind of stifled England a little bit before England kind of, well, when they scored the fourth goal, the game really twisted in their favour. Senegal played a really mature game, I think, before the first goal of England. They were sitting on a 4-4-2, really rigid block. Mm. And again... It may sound repetitive, but it, uh, at each match that Senegal play, they dominate the midfield. It's absolutely unbelievable the way they do. But it only lasts 40 minutes for them because at England, well, it, they were even creating chances. I think Hulaya Dia have a really good one. It was Dia against Pickford, right? Yeah, it was a brilliant opportunity. I think Ansar yeah. had an excellent one prior to that as well, where he hit it over the bar. Yeah, exactly. It, they were creating chances and they were comfortable on the game because England wasn't quite hitting the ranks. They they lost the ball and they were all defending Senegal. And it was like, oh no, it, it's another surprise <laughs> at the World Cup. But the quality of the players were superior when they decide to grab the ball and run and create the key player for England I think it was Harry Kane but besides obviously what Jude Bellingham did when he started to receive balls with time and space and to elaborate plays with he, he had an unbelievable game and he's having a really good tournament but when Harry Kane started to drop deep and making that one more player behind the Senegal midfield they were England were not especially massive, but they were comfortable having the ball with Harry Kane in these spaces. And he really did very transitions. In the first goal, he did a good job. He then scored the second goal, who was really good. And then the kind of things that happen in these kind of tournaments and competitions that you may have been playing 40 or 45 or you can it's really well Play of that quality like Bellingham, um, Saka, Kane and all the English players that not all but some cases obviously when they have their moment 
it, it's over. Like, if they are on target, like... Well, I, I know it's especially during England's um, game. I think one of the most underrated aspects of their overall play is how deadly they are in transition. But I just want to also say that from watching the game last night, England struggled with that kind of 4 4 2 mid block of Senegal, and then there was like a mid to high block where they would press yeah. high. They struggled to reach Declan Rice because Senegal would sit in Dia and Bia and on onto uh, the onto Rice, so they couldn't the centre halves couldn't reach uh, Rice to progress the ball and allow him to turn and play forward. So what England started to do was Jordan Henson would drop deeper and almost create that yeah. kind of two man double pivot essentially behind Senegal's forward exactly. line, and then essentially one of Senegal's double pivot would step forward then, because they had to step forward and mark uh, Jordan Henderson. But then that left space in mm. Senegal's midfield. So what ended up happening was Bellingham, and especially Harry Kane, who played extremely deep in this game. This is the deepest I've seen him play for England at the tournament. He would drop into those spaces almost in the midfield and collect the ball, and he was able to turn unscathed, really. I mean, there was no pressure on him, and then he could play forward and kind of in those little micro-transitions, I like to call them. Yeah. And didn't happen against the USA. They were kind of blocking mm. Declan Rice. Yeah. So tactically, Garrett Southgate had to find a way to create new um, ideas or movements for Rice to be free because he's obviously the first pass. In the, I think the most important pass for England. One hundred percent. Yeah, I, I fully agree. I think. Yeah. So yeah, tactically. England again. Uh, it was individual quality for me that that we were better in this game. But against France, they have to be really, really good. And France, it's defending really well. They're not only attacking that good; they're defending well. They against Poland uh, were more aggressive in their pressing, and yeah. they sit back on a. 4-3-3 or 4-4-2 sometimes. But that 4-3 rigid because it's really narrow. So the spaces to find in the midfield are, aren't that uh, like open and wide. So they have to be collectively really good. Well, England did manage to progress to the quarterfinals. Lucas... How have their odds changed? Are they now one of the favourites as well? Well, I'd imagine they are, but how, how high up, I suppose, is the, is the real question. They're significantly behind other teams like uh, France, Argentina and Brazil. England has odds uh, of uh, 8 on average to 1, together with Spain with the same average odds. And then you have France and Argentina with 5.5 and Brazil with 3.4. So you could say that they are between fourth and fifth most likely team to win the World Cup. But it's all down to the round of 16, in my opinion, because it's, uh, sorry, the quarterfinals, because it's such a big game that will define perhaps the most likely team to, to reach the final and, and then get either Brazil and most likely Netherlands or Argentina. I would put England in terms of their overall quality and depth on par with the favourites to win the tournament because they have some incredible depth in the squad. But in terms of you saying they're significantly behind others on in, in the betting market, do you think that's to do with the fact that they, I, I don't mean to sound cliched almost, but they haven't really faced much tough opposition yet and that there's still kind of a question mark over 
can they do it against a France or a Brazil or an Argentina, etc. Well, I guess if you consider the recent history of England, you can say that the team started to look like fit for titles in the last Euros. Before that, it was still a team in the making, mm-hmm. and perhaps at some point pressure can you know mount to a point in which this could be a problem, especially with so many young names that are you know performing well. Uh, personally, I believe if you consider that France and England will oppose each other and they have very different odds, that doesn't make that much sense. I would say that England deserves at least seven, perhaps six point five to be a fair odd. So there mm-hmm. may be some value here, actually. Okay, good stuff. Today's games are between Japan and Croatia and Brazil and South Korea. The Japan and Croatia game kicks off in just over an hour's time as of recording this. But we will preview tomorrow's games now. Tomorrow's games, first up, you have Morocco and Spain and Portugal and Switzerland. Lucas, I come to you first. Are Spain and Portugal the favourites in this game, as many might think? Or are Morocco kind of dark horses, considering they, well, they topped their group with Croatia and, and Belgium and Canada in it? They're both favorites, the both teams, but uh, you have a situation where Spain has odds in the house of 1.59 and Portugal with odds of 1.94, which means the market expects Spain to have around 65% of chance of winning, while Portugal something in the house of 50%. So I would say the odds are about correct, but maybe when it comes to Spain, depending on the way they play, you could expect many goals, so the over-under goals market could be of some interest. But it's the kind of bet that I like to follow the live in-running markets to see what to do first. I'm surprised a little bit that Portugal's odds are less than Spain to win this game, considering Portugal, I mean, did top their group, and then Spain were very nearly out of the tournament at one stage. Well, if you consider the way they're playing... And I guess this is perhaps the biggest asset of Spain. There is, let's say, a softer in the minds of the players. They they kind of repeat the old style that, you know, conquered the world with mm-hmm. lots of passing. And it's like, uh, you at least know what to do. You don't have to think about what you're going to do when you have the ball. And this was a strong point, even against Japan, if you see how they performed. Of course, it was shocking because of the possession, the way they lost the game, but Surface Japan was really, you know, sharp when they had the ball, when they had the, the few chances that they had, they were perfect. But Spain pretty much had the control of a lot of that game, if, at least in my view. So I guess Portugal has some beautiful, you know, moments with big names like Ronaldo and um, some other guys too. But I think you have a more balanced team in comparison, you know, um, between Spain and Portugal, I guess you have more of a team with Spain, mm-hmm. although you have some, you know, individual talent with Portugal. I think that's what the markets are kind of seeing here. And Switzerland can be perceived as a bit more of a stronger position than Morocco, I guess. Okay, it's interesting. Brian, if you're Morocco, what do you take away from Japan's win against Spain to be able to use that to your advantage, essentially? Because I don't think Morocco are as deadly in transition as Japan are, because I think Japan have been excellent on on the break. Morocco look a bit more comfortable on the ball, I would say, breaking teams down, but obviously they're going to have to kind of save possession for large, large parts of the game. 
Yeah, that's the the thing with Morocco. They haven't looked that threatening in attacking transitions like Japan did. But I will go with a with what they are doing mid to low block defending. Even they in some parts of the game look to be higher on the pitch. In some parts, obviously not during all the matches they they play, but the they set up a really a good block defend, defensively, but when they have to attack, they look more comfortable having the ball calmly and looking to find options between the lines. So that could be uh, really an issue for them against Spain because they have shown like a, a really good um, rest defense, not rest defense, but when France, but when Spain, sorry, looked to set up their block, they have been comfortable and solid against teams like quite want to have long possessions and all that. They have looked like um, fragile in transitions against Japan. But this kind of possessions, uh, they look quite comfortable. So it's going to be a tough match because you don't have the pace that Japan wingers and strikers have. So it's going to be tough because you don't have the the only weakness Spain have in the in defense have shown in the tournament, like in defensive transitions against pacey wingers. So but I think it's actually really good game because Morocco have been a incredible an incredible side in, in, in the World Cup and also Spain have been really good but they have to keep demonstrating the world and the fans that it was not only that big performance against Costa Rica yeah. they have to, to, to prove themselves again against Morocco and people yeah. are believing in Morocco like they really they really like Morocco the football fans and they're Believing the surprise in the round of 16 is right there, like in this game. No, you're right. I think Morocco have been a, a wonderful, I suppose, fairy tale story almost of the World Cup. I didn't give them much chances to get this far because it was quite a difficult group. Albeit, I didn't really watch Morocco beforehand. And, you know, Valid Regragui's done an incredible job since taking over only four months prior to the tournament. And now they're if they beat Spain, they're into the quarterfinals. And I said before, African nations have done really well in this tournament. I think they've, even yesterday, Senegal, I mean, looked likely to beat England, but in the first half an hour, I've been really impressed with African nations compared to the last decade, I suppose, of, of tournaments. And yeah. I, think, I think it's really nice to see. But switching over then to the Portugal-Switzerland game, Switzerland have been an interesting side to watch in this tournament because they were, um, I want to say... They've been a bit up and down against Cameroon. I think they struggled. They didn't do enough for me against Brazil to try and take the game to Chiche's men. But then they 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 look pretty decent against Serbia in that five goal thriller. How can they stop Portugal? Who have, I mean, I, I understand they lost against South Korea, but it was a heavy rotated side, and Portugal still have, as Lucas said, some incredible, incredible attacking talent such as Cristiano Ronaldo, Bruno Fernandes, Rafael Leao, Bernardo Silva, Diogo Dalo. Uh, Rafael Guerrero, Joao Cancelo, Ruben Diaz, it goes on and on and on. Yeah, Portugal have a, a really 
immense squad in terms of quality. Like France before or England, it's the talking point of football fans as well that Fernando Santos haven't been quite given a great football idea for this big talent mm. inside their team. So he has been criticized. And Switzerland, it's an annoying side in the World Cup. Like they, they seem to always get to the, the knockouts, and it's it's amazing. Yeah, like and and it's like they always get to the knockout stages, and it's crazy because they do in a really odd way. Like you even didn't think they are playing the World Cup, so it's crazy. Like what they have been doing in, at twenty fourteen, like the match against Argentina was massive, mm -hmm. a massive performance, and then. Uh, against France at the Euro, I think it was. Um, right now against Serbia, who I think have a really, like a better squad than than them. They really quite, they they look quite bigger than than them in in the tactical way, and like defending and going forward, they have a really good idea. Against Cameroon and Brazil, they show like. A compact block, not that solid, but they they look at a, a good idea of how they want to defend in, in that way, and that could maybe uh, be a problem for Portugal. But I don't think the surprise of the World Cup you know, of the round of sixteen is like going to be in this match. I think Portugal is a really superior, and players like Bruno Fernandes, Bernardo Silva, and all the players you mentioned, like literally the starting 11 is an attacking problem for an opponent. So it's quite like what we have been talking, the individual quality that in this kind of tournaments, it's like even more important in a minimum aspect, like against the collective one, you can see France at 2018 with Mbappe and all that, and teams mm -hmm. like they have really good players and not collective, like good ideas, um, and trained for for like you you ha you can't train your team like it's a football club, you yeah. know you, you you don't have the time to do that. So I think that's what makes quality. quality Spain so impressive that people that they've really stood out. That they makes, look like a club team. That makes massive, like what Spain is doing and it's because Luis Enrique is really taking this team like a football club and that's mm. why he's been criticized on the squad list and all that but he's like calling players like it's a club and if they are not playing in their football teams he's doing that but other teams only like to call their talented players and the individual quality is obviously uh, important and it exists and you may seen it in games like this and games like England and in more games of this tournament we have seen it and we will still see it because like Argentina Messi was having one of the best game games of his mm -hmm. career and it was only individual quality not I'm not saying that Argentina were poor but it, oh, yeah. when you have a player like him they were quite of poor but I don't think that. Wow, like they were that, poor, but they have a gem. 
that's how I yeah. saw it. I came away with it. The, <laughs> they were poor, but they don't have a gym. They have like a giant. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I mean, so in this kind of match, like Portugal and Switzerland, I will expect to Bruno Fernandes be the key man in the midfield to break the block. If he plays more inside in the central zones, he's going to be a really important player. And also Bernardo Silva, they have the quality to break small spaces and execute through passes, like really look shaky for Switzerland against Serbia. The both teams in that match look shaky defending his their box. So this kind of passes from Bernardo or Bruno to Leao or Ronaldo, they're go- I think that's going to be important for them. Mm-hmm. I agree. Brian, Lucas, thank you so much for joining me today. I really enjoyed this chat. And to all the listeners at home, I hope you enjoyed too. Make sure to tune in tomorrow as we review and preview all the action from the 2022 FIFA World Cup. So make sure to check back in for that. And please share the podcast too as it really helps us grow. Thanks for listening. And goodbye for now.